Welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. My name is America, and this is the lovely Julia. Hi, everyone. So today we are going to talk about the First Vision accounts, not the essay that we already talked about, but the actual accounts themselves. And so Joseph Smith gave four different accounts, or there are four different accounts. That we have on hand. Yes. Um, These are first-hand First Vision accounts. So we have 1832, 1835, 1838, and 1842. That's been 10 years. Holy cow. Yeah, that's very true. Um, So I recorded myself reading off these accounts. So we're going to play the audio, and then we're going to talk about the highlights of them. So we're going to go over the first one. At about the age of 12 years, my mind became seriously impressed with regard to all important concerns for the welfare of my immortal soul, which led me to searching the scriptures, believing as I was taught that they contained the word of God, Thus applying myself to them and my intimate acquaintance with those of different denominations led me to marvel exceedingly, for I discovered that they did not adorn their profession by a holy walk and godly conversation, agreeable to what I found contained in the sacred depository. This was a grief to my soul. Thus, from the age of twelve years to fifteen, I pondered many things in my heart concerning the situation of the world, of mankind, the contentions and divisions, the wickedness and abominations, and the darkness which pervaded the minds of mankind. My mind became exceedingly distressed, for I became convicted of my sins, and by searching the scriptures, I found that mankind did not come unto the Lord, but that they had apostatized from the true and living faith, and there was no society or denomination that built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, as recorded in the New Testament, and I felt to mourn for my own sins, and for the sins of the world. For I learned in scriptures that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he was no respecter to persons. For he was God, for he looked upon the sun, the glorious luminary of the earth, and also the moon rolling in their majesty, through the heavens and also the stars shining in their courses, and the earth also upon which I stood, and the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, and the fish of the waters, and also man walking forth upon the face of the earth in majesty and in strength of beauty, whose power and intelligence in governing the things which were so exceedingly great and marvelous, even in the likeness of him who created them. And when I considered upon these things, my heart exclaimed, Well hath the wise man said, It is a fool that saith in his heart there is no God. My heart exclaimed all, all these bear testimony, and bespeak an omnipotent and omnipresent power, a being who maketh laws, and decreeth, and bindeth all things in their bounds, who filleth eternity, who was, and is, and will be from all eternity to eternity. And when I considered all these things, and that that being seeketh such to worship him, as worship him in the spirit and in truth, therefore I cried unto the Lord for mercy, for there was none else whom I could go and obtain mercy. And the Lord heard my cry in the wilderness, and while in the attitude of calling upon the Lord in the sixteenth year of my age, a pillar of light above the brightness of the sun at new day came down from above and rested upon me, and I was filled with the Spirit of God, and the Lord opened the heavens upon me, and I saw the Lord, and he spake unto me, saying, Joseph, my son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Go thy way, walk in my statutes, and keep my commandments. Behold, I am the Lord of glory. I was crucified for the world, that all those who would believe on my name may have eternal life. Behold, the world lieth in sin at this time, and none doeth good, no, not one. And they have turned aside from the gospel, and keep not my commandments. They draw near to me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And mine anger is kindling against the inhabitants of the earth, to visit them according to their ungodliness, and to bring to pass that which hath been spoken by the mouth of the prophets and apostles. Behold, and lo, I come quickly, as it is written of me in the cloud, clothed in the glory of my Father. 
And my soul was filled with love, and for many days I could rejoice with great joy, and the Lord was with me, but could find none that would believe the heavenly vision. Okay, so that was written in Joseph Smith's own handwriting. And there was a couple of things before we talk about the highlights. There was a couple of things I wanted to point out. So when he says that he was in the 16th year of his age, this is written in retroactively. So somebody has written it out and then they went in and put it above the writing that was already there. So when the 16th year of my age was written above and where Jesus says, Joseph, my son, the words my son were also written above. Like, so as a... Um... Like an afterthought almost. An afterthought, yeah. So one of the big things for me is in biographical sketches, it says that Joseph was saying that his family joined in the Presbyterian church before the first vision. But the historians have agreed now that they actually did it in 1824 after Alvin died. Because that's the reason why they joined is because the preacher said, your son has not been baptized, he's going to hell. So Lucy got scared and she and some of her, her kids joined the church. And they wouldn't have done that if they'd already been part of the Presbyterian Church in 1820. But Joseph Smith here at the very bottom of this account, he says, About that time my mother and, and he crossed it all out. And I, this is just a theory, but I think he was about to write, About this time my mother and my siblings joined the Presbyterian Church. Because mm. this is dating it the correct way. Because if this is happening in 1820, or no wait, hang on, he's, this is his 16th year? Mm-hmm. So this would be 22-ish, and then joined in 24. So he's still, getting the, he's still getting the years wrong, but I still think that's super interesting and worth noting. Either that they joined the Presbyterian Church, or about that time my mother was, you know, stressed about Alvin dying, or stressed yeah. about our salvation. But I mean, I, we don't know what he was going to, to say. But it does have um, to do with his mother. Yeah, in the account we have now, he goes up to her and says, or the one in our scriptures, he says that he tells her Presbyterianism is not true, and... If he actually did say that, I don't see her joining the Presbyterian Church. Right. But. Especially with how, the way that she writes about Joseph and seeing him seeing God and the everything. Oh, yeah. And one of the things she says to him, or she says in her writings, in her journals, is that Joseph would gather everyone around and he would tell stories of the Nephites and he would tell them what modes of transportation, what clothing they wore, and all kinds of stories. So if she's kind of prepared for Joseph to receive this and to restore a church, why would she go? And join in the Presbyterian Church in 1824. And she doesn't really make any sense. Okay, so the highlights of this is one thing I... Is, is being in the 16th year of his age, which is not what we were taught being him being 14. Well, and it also says in there, between my 12th and 15th year, like, that he was concerned about his salvation between 12 and 15. My mind became seriously impressed with regard to all important concerns of the welfare of my immortal soul. So, yeah, it sounds like he's he's been tossing this back and forth. Thus, from the age of 12 to 15, I pondered many things in my heart. Yeah. Very true. Um, so, in here, there's no mention of James 1.5. He said he was, led me to searching the scriptures, which I guess could be James 1.5, but he doesn't quote it directly. There's no mention of it. Um, he says there's no, no denomination built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he already knew that they were all wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas in one of the other accounts, he says that, he didn't, it had never occurred to him. It had never entered his mind. There's no mention of the devil. There's no mention of God the Father. Like seeing God the Father. Like two separate beings. He says he sees only the Lord. And I thought it was interesting that Je- that Jesus says, Joseph, my son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Because this seems to acknowledge that Jesus is the eternal father. 
which is the which is the language in the 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon, and a lot of it's still even in there, where Jesus is the Father. Which is a somewhat Trinitarian view. Well, so there's a there's a lot of confusion between the Trinitarian and the modalist theory. Um, they're still really confusing to me, but the, this whatever it is that Joseph Smith's teaching, it's definitely not what we understand as the Godhead in the Mormon as, church. As them being two separate. Right, and the Holy beings. Ghost being a separate being. Yeah. And there's, he's not ever forbidden to joining any other churches, because in his other accounts, he says that the Lord forbids him joining any other church. And uh, historians <clears throat> will pull this out, the 1832 account, to say it was okay that Joseph Smith sought a membership in the Methodist church. But it's so weird that you would choose one of the accounts... <laughs> That, that doesn't coincide with the current account to excuse something that I, I just... Yeah, I have no idea why that historian did that. It doesn't make any sense. That's very strange to me. Another thing that was interesting to me was that um, he crossed out the word fire instead of pillar yeah, of light. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. What was, what was interesting to you about that? Well, like a pillar of fire, that makes me think of... Is it... Which, which prophet is it? Elijah or somebody who Elijah. calls down the pillar of fire to prove that God is on his side or whatever mm-hmm. um, to wait no is it Moses dang it which prophet is it he like calls down the pillar of fire I thought it was Elijah I, there's I don't know but it's in the Old Testament I feel like more than once probably, probably pillar is. of fire like and wait a pillar of fire leads Moses the burning bush. Oh, there is a pillar of fire with the Egyptians. Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, that like leads the 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 forty or not? I'm not saying any words right. That leads the the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? The pillar of fire that leads them out of Egypt. So there's 20 spots in the scriptures where the words pillar of fire are next to each other. Exodus, I see to give them. So yeah, there's light. a pillar of fire that leads them. Pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So it's very scriptural. Pillar of fire in First Nephi, Helaman, Nehemiah, and Revelations, Numbers. So yeah, it's all over the Old Testament, this pillar of fire idea. But it is interesting that he crosses it out and says light. Yeah, so like it, it's reminiscent of a biblical story, like as if he's like... Is he moving away from... Invoking a biblical biblical idea, but then having to switch it because, like, if a pillar of fire landed on him, that would be, like, a big problem, right? (laughs) So it's like, wait, 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 not fire, light. Like, light light is okay, fire is He does say in another account that he thought the leaves, or he thought that the, the, the forest around him would catch fire. So, to me, it wasn't a huge deal, but that is really interesting. Maybe he is moving away from... A more biblical. Yeah, it just felt very biblical in the in the in the way he said it. Also, like another thing that we noticed was that quote. Where was it? Um, that you said was from Isaiah. So this phrase, "They draw near unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me," is actually in quite a few places in the New Testament. It's in Matthew and Mark, and it's in Isaiah, which is the one I was referring to. Yeah, that's super interesting. So yeah, very biblical, very very New Testament. So Joseph saying. So Joseph was. Well, at least by 1832, he was well acquainted with the Old and New Testament. The King James Version. <laughs> the King James Old and New Testament. And one thing that I noticed as we were listening is this is very beautifully written. And for them That's to say that he couldn't construct a well-worded letter, I know I get caught up with that, but he's a very beautiful writer, beautiful speaker. He doesn't have very good um, spelling, but that <laughs> so is okay. So to Joseph's credit, um, the... Uh, 
the there was not a standardized dictionary true. at yeah, that point. Yeah, that is very true. There was one that was first published in 29. I think Webster was was published in 1829 and, and there was another um there's another dictionary published around the same year, and they were both very different in how they spell anything. So yeah, true. there was no standardized spelling. So I'll give Joseph credit for that. Yeah. So I guess you can't use that as evidence that he couldn't write a quote, well-worded letter. Yeah, I like, don't think Emma would care. No, nobody knows how to write. Yeah, Nobody's spelling things. You just sounded out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it? Mark Twain who says he doesn't think much of a man who can't spell a word more than one way. <laughs> I, I always love that. <laughs> Okay, so these, there's the next one is the 1835 account, and this is the second First Vision account. Being wrought up in my mind, respecting the subject of religion, and looking at the different systems taught the children of men, I knew not who was right or who was wrong, and considering it of the first importance that I should be right in matters that involved eternal consequences. Being thus perplexed in mind, I retired to the silent grove and bowed down before the Lord, under a realizing sense that he said if the Bible were true, Ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened. Seek, and you shall find. And again, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not. Information was what I most desired at this time, and with a fixed determination to obtain it, I called upon the Lord for the first time, and the place above stated, or in other words, I made a fruitless attempt to pray. My tongue seemed to be swollen in my mouth, so that I could not utter. I heard a noise behind me, like some person walking towards me. I strove again to pray, but could not. The noise of walking seemed to draw nearer. I sprung to my feet and looked around, but saw no person or thing that was calculated to produce the noise of walking. I kneeled again. My mouth was open and my tongue liberated. I called on the Lord in mighty prayer. A pillar of fire appeared above my head. It presently rested down upon me and filled me with joy unspeakable. A personage appeared in the midst of this pillar of flame, which was spread all around and yet nothing consumed. Another person soon appeared, like unto the first. He said unto me, Thy sins are forgiven thee. He testified unto me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I saw many angels in this vision. I was about 14 years old when I received this first communication. Okay, so what stuck out to you with that, with this account? Okay, well, he talked again about the pillar of fire. Um, yeah, I thought that was flame. interesting. Yeah, I guess he didn't move away from it after all. Yeah. Um, which is a, I want to say violent, a more violent vision than a pillar of light. And it seems a little bit more like the the god of, of the Old Testament rather than the more peaceful one that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, prefers to um, display, you know? Mm-hmm. I also thought it was interesting. He kind of, he doesn't call it the, the devil or Satan or anything, but he implies oh, that yeah. somebody was like, coming behind behind him him. which is not the same as the story we know now there's no walking in the story um, oh the devil yeah the official story right there's just like the feeling of darkness and yeah this like to me he's in the middle of the woods there could be a number of animals like a deer i don't know like there's no there is no devil in this account but it's a creepy, like, walking that he yeah, can't he says, he says his tongue was swollen, that he could not utter, and he heard a noise, like some person. And they weren't there. Mm-hmm. So that implies to me that there was, it was something scary happening, like, trying to stop me. I wonder why he didn't go, why didn't he say that it was the presence of the devil? I don't know. It, it, it feels a bit, like, occultic, right? 
Mm -hmm. Um, Feels a bit occultic to me. Or at least a magic worldview. Exactly. To talk about the devil. One thing that I just... Well, no, I mean, I mean, magic worldview for to hear steps but not see anybody to match them. That is magic worldview? Yeah, it's like, like, there's... Because, like, he also doesn't say specifically that... Was it... Did he say that God spoke to him or that Jesus spoke to him? Okay, so I'm glad you said that. Um, So, no, he doesn't... He doesn't actually say who these personages are. Right. So they're like personages that are speaking to him more than God and Satan. Right. right. He says they he says they looked like each other. Um, another personage soon appeared likened to the first. But the thing the thing that catches me is that they're speaking this first personage is speaking of Jesus Christ in the third person. And so he's not saying I am the son of God. He and says he's not Jesus saying, is the this son of is God. my son. Yeah, there's no distinction between who these beings are, other than that they looked alike. Well, and doesn't I'm not even sure that that's what that means. And nothing, another personage soon appeared, like unto the first. Oh, you're right. So it probably means like, soon another appeared. person popped up, just like the first one did. Oh, that's very true. I hadn't because to me, I see the words appeared like unto the first. But you're right. I think it's just saying another person popped up. Yeah. Like the other person popped up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't read it that way. So, and then also this phrase, and I saw many angels in this vision, was written above. So it was added in later. Added in later. And also one so, thing that... Oh, wait, sorry. He didn't say a lot of angels in the first... Yeah, there's no angels. I don't think any of the other accounts mention angels at all. Okay, yeah. Okay, but yeah. another thing that I, I noticed, it says, if the Bible be true. And at this point, it's 1835... So and he's implying that not only are no churches true, but also maybe the Bible is not true. Right. So he started translating the Bible just after the Book of Mormon was published in 1830. And here he was just saying, if the Bible's true at all. And then he does bring up James 1.5, which I just thought was interesting. That is interesting because he's like quoting the Bible. Um, he's like literally quoting the Bible. But at the same time, is the Bible even true? And he says, I knew not who was right or who was wrong. And he says, information is what I most desired at this time. It just seems like I just want to know who's right and who's wrong. If any of them be right or wrong. If Mm -hmm. the Bible even is correct. Does he even say? I don't think he even says what the message these two people gave him. Thy sins be forgiven thee. He testified that Jesus is the son of God. And And I think that's that's it. I think he just goes straight on from there to talk about. That's 14. Mm -hmm. I think he goes straight on to talk about the angel Moroni. Which is just interesting. He doesn't even... There's not much message there, Joseph. Like, your sins are forgiven you. So, basically, he's saying, I prayed. There was creepy um, steps in the forest. And then a person popped up. And there was a pillar of fire. And then another person popped up. And they were like, your sins are forgiven you. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Jesus is the Christ. But we're not going to tell you that the Bible is true. Yeah. So, do with that what you will. And then disappeared. Yeah. Like, and I think it's interesting out. also that he says... This is the first time that he prayed, right? I called upon the Lord for the first time, which I just think is interesting. This 14-year-old has never prayed before, even though he's been raised somewhat religiously. His dad was a universalist, which means that he believes that everyone will be saved. I don't know. I just think that's interesting, too. I mean, he had a lot of siblings. It says the first time, but I wonder... To pray vocally. And one of the other counts, it says pray vocally. But this one, it says... Um, I called upon the Lord for the first time. There's no, I don't think he mentions it himself praying out loud, right? I guess it says his tongue was. His tongue was swollen. So that would imply a vocal. 
Oh, that's that's kind of strange. Yeah, wouldn't make sense to me for a religious man to have never prayed before. Yeah, especially because in the other one he said it was between the ages of twelve and fifteen he was very concerned. That's very true. So if you're concerned, why would you not have prayed before? Yeah. Why would he wait until his sixteenth year? Well, in this one he said it was fourteen. Right, and that's true. Which is two years difference, but maybe maybe right. it's hard to remember your age. <laughs> maybe it's hard to remember the that one time when you saw God in Jesus Christ. I mean, was I 14? Oh, maybe I was, was 16. I 16? <laughs> okay, so the next one is the 1838 account, and this is the one we are most familiar with. And it's kind of long, so I'm just going to... So just, you know, bear with us for the next eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, put it on double speed. <laughs> <laughs> I was at this time in my 15th year. My father's family was proselyted to the Presbyterian faith, and four of them joined that church, namely my mother Lucy, my brothers Hiram, Samuel Harrison, and my sister Sophronia. During this time of great excitement, my mind was called upon to serious reflection and great uneasiness. But though my feelings were deep and often poignant, still I kept myself aloof from all these parties, though I attended their several meetings as occasion would permit. But in process of time, my mind became somewhat partial to the Methodist sect. I felt some desire to be united with them. But so great was the confusion and strife amongst the different denominations that it was impossible for a person young as I was and so unacquainted with men and things to come to any certain conclusion who was right and who was wrong. My mind at different times was greatly excited. The cry and tumult were so great and incessant. The Presbyterians were most decided against the Baptists and Methodists and used all their powers of either reason or sophistry to prove their errors or at least to make the people think they were in error. On the other hand, the Baptists and Methodists, in their turn, were equally zealous in endeavoring to establish their own tenets and disprove all others. In the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions, I often said to myself, what is to be done? Who of all these parties are right? Or are they all wrong together? And if any one of them be right, which is it? And how shall I know it? While I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contest of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the Epistle of James, first chapter and fifth verse, which reads, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Never did any passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did. For how to act I did not know. And unless I could get more wisdom than I then had, I would never know, for the teachers of religions of the different sects understood the same passage of scripture so differently as to destroy all confidence in settling the question of an appeal to the Bible. At length, I came to the conclusion that I must either remain in darkness and confusion, or else I must do as James directs, that is, ask of God. I at last came to the determination to ask of God, concluding that if he gave wisdom to them that lacked wisdom, and would give liberally and not abrade, I might venture. So in accordance with this, my determination to ask of God, I retired to the woods to make the attempt. It was on the morning of a beautiful clear day, early in the spring of 1820. It was the first time in my life that I had made such an attempt, for amidst all my anxieties, I had never as yet made the attempt to pray vocally. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my power to call upon God, 
to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at that very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such a marvelous power, as I had never before felt in any being, just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light, exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me, and no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak, than I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right, for at this time it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong, and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. He again forbade me to join with any of them, and many other things did he say unto me which I cannot write at this time. When I came to myself again, I found myself lying on my back looking up into heaven. Some few days after I had had this vision, I happened to be in the company with one of the Methodist preachers, who was very active in the before-mentioned religious excitement and conversing with him on the subject of religion, I took occasion and gave him an account of the vision which I had had. I was greatly surprised at his behavior. He treated my communication not only lightly, but with great contempt, saying it was all of the devil, that there was no such thing as visions or revelations in these days, that all such things had ceased with the apostles, and that there never would be any more of them. I soon found, however, that my telling the story had excited a great deal of prejudice against me, among professors of religion, and was the cause of great persecution which continued to increase. And though I was an obscure boy, only between 14 and 15 years of age, and my circumstances in life such as to make a boy of no consequence in the world, yet men of high standing would take notice sufficiently to excite the public mind against me and create a hot persecution. And this was a common among all the sects, all united to persecute me. It has often caused me serious reflection, both then and since, how very strange it was that an obscure boy of a little over 14 years of age, and one to who was doomed to the necessity of obtaining a scanty maintenance by his daily labor, should be thought a character of sufficient importance to attract the attention of great ones, of the most popular sects of the day, so as to create in them a spirit of bitterest persecution and reviling. But strange or not, so it was, and was often cause of great sorrow to myself. However, it was nevertheless a fact that I had had a vision, I have thought since that I felt much like as Paul did when he made his defense before King Agrippa and related the account of the vision he had when he saw a light and heard a voice, but still there were but few who believed him. Some said he was dishonest, others said he was mad, and he was ridiculed and reviled, but all this did not destroy the reality of his vision. He had seen a vision. He knew he had, and all the persecution under heaven could not make it otherwise. And though they should persecute him unto death, yet he knew, and would know to his last breath, that he had both seen a light and heard a voice speaking unto him, and all the world could not make him think or believe otherwise. So it was with me. I had actually seen a light, and in the midst of that light I saw two personages, and they did, in reality, 
speak unto me. Well, one of them did. And though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, yet it was true. And while they were persecuting me, reviling me, and speaking all manner of evil against me falsely for so saying, I was led to say in my heart, Why persecute for telling the truth? I have actually seen a vision. And who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I have actually seen? For I had seen a vision. I knew it. And I knew that God knew it. And I could not deny it. Neither dare I do it. At least I knew that by doing so I would offend God and come under condemnation. I knew it. And I knew that God knew it. And I forgot to tell anyone about it. <laughs> you know, like, that that sounds like somebody who's speaking their truth, right? But he also... It was a beautiful testimony. It's very, very yeah. beautiful and strong worded. Super you know? strong. But he also had very strong words for literally everybody about everything and, like, threatened people. He, he was pretty big on threats. About everything. So, like, I don't know. It feels a little, like, big words. Mm-hmm. Big talker. Um, well, one thing I noticed is that he didn't actually say that that darkness was the devil, right? It didn't say that it was Satan. It just says it was a dark, it says thick darkness gathered around me. Seemed as if I were doomed to sudden destruction, which is not how I understand Satan to work at this point in time. But um, Who had such a marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being. He does but say he says the some word power. devil later. He says some power from the unseen world. Mm-hmm. From the unseen world. Wait, he does use the word devil? So here he's talking about persecution, right? When he's talking about the yeah. devil. Which is also interesting because we've gone over all the documents, all the newspapers um, about the first vision, and there's zero persecution. People were seeing Christ. That's not a, that's not a new thing. But there's nowhere... Nobody that, talked about... Nobody... Nobody it, was persecuting him because nobody knew that he saw Jesus Christ yeah. in God. Or at least it wasn't published there was, or written anywhere. There was a lot of documentation of all the gossip that happened in this time period. That's just what newspapers were, were gossip papers. And nobody said anything about Joseph Smith seeing any visions. Um, they did talk about him and his gold plates. They did talk about him by treasure digging. Um, he was like... Uh, in court for treasure digging. There's much, much documentation of that, but none of his seeing a vision and being persecuted for it. Right. So in one of the accounts, was it the one just earlier? 1832, he said he could find no one that would believe the heavenly vision, but he doesn't really talk about persecution. So, I mean, he could have told random people. He could have told the preacher and the preacher just didn't believe him and there's no persecution that follows. But this is the first account, I think, Unless I missed the 1835 one where he talks about persecution, right? Which we have no records that he was persecuted for this at all. But you're right, this is 1838. And by then he got into court. He'd been to court a few times for treasure digging. Things like that are following him. At this point also, he is being accused of being a polygamist and things with Fanny Alger and other of, some of the other wives. So he is being persecuted, but, but we don't know that it's from this. Yeah, and in fact, we know quite a lot that it's not from this. <laughs> I guess that's what I meant. Like, he's being persecuted, but not for the first vision. So I hadn't thought about that before, thinking, like, what's happening now when he's writing it versus what was happening in 1820. So as far as my records, wife number four happened in 1841. So he'd married, he'd had this, I don't even know, I want to call this a marriage, but he had the flame with Fanny Alger in 1833. 
He married Lucinda Pendleton Harris in 1838, so this is the same year, and then later he marries his other wives. So the highlights for the 1838 account, he was in his 15th year, he was seeking for the true church, he says, are they all wrong together? He talks about James 1.5. He says this is his first attempt to pray vocally. Um, he, he does talk about the devil, but he doesn't, you're right, he doesn't say the devil. It's just the presence, the power Which from the unseen world. could still world. be like a magical worldview. Right. Spirit type thing rather than the actual devil. Right. And then the two personages who appear are very, very evidently Jesus and Heavenly Father. They give, they name each other that. Um, they were, Joseph was forbidden to join any of the religions and he was persecuted for having this vision. Those, that's what I found as highlights. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly he persecuted. Allegedly persecuted. <laughs> this next one is in 1842. And this one is known as the Wentworth letter. When about 14 years of age, I began to reflect upon the importance of being prepared for a future state. And upon inquiring the plan of salvation, I found that there was a great clash in religious sentiment. If I went to one society, they referred me to one plan and another to another, each one pointing to his own particular creed as the summum bonum of perfection. Considering that all could not be right, and that God could not be the author of so much confusion, I determined to investigate the subject more fully, believing that if God had a church, it would not be split up into factions, and that if he taught one society to worship one way and administer in one set of ordinances, he would not teach in other principles which were diametrically opposed. Believing the word of God, I had confidence in the declaration of James if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. I retired to a secret place in a grove, and began to call upon the Lord. While fervently engaged in supplication, my mind was taken away from the objects with which I was surrounded. I was enwrapped in a heavenly vision, and saw two glorious personages who exactly resembled each other in features and likeness, surrounded with a brilliant light which eclipsed the sun at noonday. They told me that all religious denominations were believing in incorrect doctrines, and that none of them was acknowledged of God as his church and kingdom. And I was expressly commanded to go not after them, at the same time receiving a promise that the fullness of the gospel should at some future time be made known unto me. So what stuck out to you in this one? Um, not much. It seemed like a shorter this version. This one was very short. So the highlights for me was that he was 14 years old. He was trying to be prepared for a future state. He he does mention James 1.5. There's no mention of the devil. He just, somebody joked on TikTok that it didn't, it didn't test well with audiences. <laughs> <laughs> the devil. Which is true. Like when you're a missionary, they don't, the, they yeah, don't yeah. want you to talk about the darkness, the thick darkness. Yeah. Again, there's two unnamed personages. So this one, they do resemble each other. I saw two have, wait. Two, two glorious personages who exactly resembled each other in feature and likeness. So these two heavenly beings, they talk about God in third person. They say this is acknowledged of God as his church and kingdom, not my church and my kingdom. So why are they, why doesn't, you know, why isn't it in first person? And it's interesting to me that there's only, of the four accounts, there's only really one of them that says that he saw God and Christ. These other ones are just personages or glorious beings. I also like that it says that at some time receiving a promise that the fullness of the gospel should at some future time be made known unto me. So there's like a promise of something more happening. What, what I find interesting though is that if that was true, if God said, don't join any religions, you're, through you I will restore the gospel, why then is Joseph put on trial for treasure digging in 1826? That just seems very... I don't know. I guess he says later that he does. He did sin. He did fall into sin before the angel Moroni comes back and he 
is praying for forgiveness of sins. And that's why the angel Moroni appears. I just think that's a little bit backwards for Joseph to see God in Christ and then go treasure digging for years, for the next six or seven years. I don't understand, understand how there can be a prophet of God who treasure digs at all. Like, um, <laughs> like why, why would God come to a person be like, I'm going to have you restore my true church. And then that person like go digging for treasure. I feel like God would be like, nah, bro. Like I'm preparing you to be the prophet of God. Don't be digging for treasure. And what's more failing at it. Like, not doing a good job at all of looking for treasure. Yeah, yeah, why would God pick a boy who is treasure digging, whose family is looking for money? Why would he pick that boy? And then, like, not why wouldn't help he him. Pick, why wouldn't he pick a different boy who's not looking for money? Like, why would your prime candidate for somebody to translate a book that's made out of gold be this boy who's been treasure digging forever? And looking for gold. Why would you not pick somebody who is not looking for treasure... I don't know, it just doesn't really make any sense. Like, why did God... Yeah, and if you are going to pick somebody who is looking for gold, like, is in need of money, why not give them the money that they need so that they can go ahead and do your work? Joseph struggled through the entire history of the church. And Brigham Young later, um, with currency now, he was a millionaire Mm -hmm. in Utah. But it was after, like, the Book of Mormon started selling, like... Joseph did make something that made a lot of money, but it wasn't... Well, not just that, but the saints bringing in money, and he was already uh-huh. pretty wealthy. Like, it was his kind of his own thing, and he was able to pass that down to his kids, but, like, I don't know. Yeah, just... Did not. I don't know why God would pick a treasure digger. So one thing that I found interesting is one of these accounts, I think it's the 1832 account, I have to go back and check, but he's telling the story to, to a man named Joshua the Jewish Minister, and he's, they're writing the history of the church, and he writes this down. He goes up to Josh. They're talking. He tells him the first vision account and tells him about, about the Book of Mormon. But later, when they're rewriting the history of the church, they leave that part out about the first vision, and he just jumps straight to meeting Joshua to telling about the Book of Mormon. I wonder why they cut that out. Like, why? Why did they edit out? Yeah, why did you edit out the first vision? Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me because I know that it's a big selling point for... Mm-hmm. For converting people to the gospel. Like, this person saw God that makes them, like, a a middleman between me and God. And I should listen to this person. Mm -hmm. If they're just a person who made new scriptures, then, like, I I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you wrote a book. Like, cool. Like, I'll read your book. Not, let me follow your religion and give up my entire like, livelihood to follow you to Utah. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. There's a big difference. Somebody else pointed out, they said that the man's known as Radio Free Mormon or RFM. He said that just because somebody else has a heavenly vision or supposedly sees God or Christ, that has no bearing on me. That has no bearing on anybody else except that person. Mm -hmm. He said, if God wanted to help me join a church, he knows where I live and I'll keep the porch light on. Like, it's just interesting that the church makes it so that we're obligated to follow Joseph because Joseph had a vision. Not because we have a vision. We have to trust him. He's got the authority. We don't have the authority. We can pray to to know that he does, in fact, have the authority. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. we don't have any authority in our own lives, I guess. Yeah, so I'm not going to count the 1835 account because he doesn't actually see God 
or Christ in that one either. The first time he sees Heavenly Father is in 1838 account. So that's 18 years after 1820, 18 years after the first vision took place. Uh, he finally, <laughs> supposedly took place. He finally sees Heavenly Father. Or finally clarifies that he saw Heavenly Father. Right. So 12 years after the first vision, he finally says it. And then 18 years after the first vision supposedly took place, God finally becomes a character in this vision. And listening to the accounts in order, they seem to get very fluffy. Yeah, they, they just get, get more, more elaborate, detailed, detailed mm -hmm. except for this 1842 account, which just sort of drops off. <laughs> he just doesn't seem to have any He's energy like, well, left. Yeah, I had that experience. And anyway. Oh, yeah, two people <laughs> showed up to me. <laughs> like, they look like each other. I don't. I'm not going to tell you who they are or what they really said. I don't know. No mention of devil. I mean, James one five is pretty consistent, right? Yeah, it's just only not mentioned. I think in the 1832 account. Yeah, he only doesn't mention James one five in the 1832 account. He just says he was led me to searching the scriptures. So that could you could take that as James one five. So I wonder if he actually did. Maybe not. Um, you know, in 1820, whenever. Um, but, like, maybe the spark for this actual, um, or the spark for this story was the James 1.5 Well, and he scripture. was translating, he was retranslating the Bible. So At he's going through it very yeah. carefully, like with a fine-tooth comb. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that very well could be what was happening. And some of my other research, I saw also that there were other people um, that were seeing God in Christ. There was a little boy who had died... And in, I think it's published in the Elder's Journal where the the eulogy that they're giving, I think it's the dad who's giving it. And the boy's like between five and nine. He was pretty young. But he says that he frequently had visions of, of God in Christ. And then Joseph all of a sudden was like, oh, yeah, I saw, I I saw, saw God, God in Christ. Christ. <laughs> I just or thought that was really some interesting. people. I saw some people. And also there was angels. Yes. A lot of angels. <laughs> so overall conclusion... It doesn't sound like the first vision actually happened at all, in my mind. Just because of all the research that we've done, what it looks like now and looking at it very carefully, I don't know, I have a hard time believing that it happened at all. It seems more like he got the idea and it, from somewhere else, people talking about it around him, possibly he was reading James 1.5 and was like, this would be a good reason, you know, a good beginning to this story or whatever, and then mm -hmm. built it upon that. Because mm -hmm. it, it changes every time. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting. So if anyone tells you differently, he really only sees God and Christ in one of the four visions. And I don't know, I feel like that's a big deal. It is, yeah. It's only 25%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only 25% of the visions does he see God and Christ. Okay, well, that was all we really have for this episode. I do want to gather all these secondhand accounts, which might take me a minute because there's a few of them in the Journal of Discourses. And then, of course, there's the ones that are published on the church's website. And they are very different than what we've been seeing in these four accounts. So. Well, and didn't Brigham Young say that he didn't see God at all? Yeah. Or Heber C. Kimball. One of them, one of them was like, nope, nope. God did, God did not show up. But. That did not happen. <laughs> Which is a kind of a crazy thing for a, pro a prophet, yeah, or an a president apostle, of the yeah. church, to, yeah, or apostle to say. Whoever, whoever had said it, yeah. Like, well, okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so stay tuned for the 
The secondhand accounts, which will be very interesting. Tune in one more time to find out the end of the story. (laughs) Leave you on that cliffhanger. (laughs) Thanks, everyone.